Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is the means to overcome doubt. Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Every thinking person uh, has struggled with the problem of doubt. C.S. Lewis said, who was an atheist before he became a follower of Jesus, he acknowledged acknowledged that uh, just as a Christian has moments of doubts, he also had them as an atheist. This is what he wrote, and I quote, Believe in God, and you will have to face hours when it seems obvious that this material world is the only reality. Disbelieve in him, and you must face hours when this material world seems to shout at you that this is not all there is. No conviction, religious or irreligious, uh, will of itself end once and for all this fifth columnist in the soul. And I had to look up what fifth columnist is because I didn't know. A fifth columnist is, uh, is a way of talking about an enemy, right? So um, he says, uh, conviction, religious or irreligious, will in itself, it will never end this enemy of the soul. Here's what he says. Only the practice of faith resulting in the habit of faith will gradually do that. Do you ever doubt your faith in Jesus? C.S. Lewis seemed to think that uh, you would. Gary Habermas, who is a prominent uh, apologist of our day, and someone who himself said he struggled with doubt uh, incredibly, he defines doubt in this way in in his book, The Thomas Factor. He said, doubt is, and I quote, the lack of certainty about the truthfulness of Christianity, one's own faith, or how it applies to real life situations. Relevant Magazine published an article where it documents that Mother Teresa, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, John Calvin, Pope Francis, and C.S. Lewis all confessed to periods of doubt in their faith. And so this morning, I want to talk to us again about faith. We've talked about faith quite a bit in the Gospel of Mark and the Good News of Mark. And uh, so today we want to do it again. And I believe in the passage that we're going to look at, we're going to see three kinds of faith that are illustrated for us. And, uh, but I hope to hone in on one of them, which I'm calling the weak faith or the doubting faith. Now, last week, Jesus took three of his disciples up on a mountain where God reveals the glory of Jesus to them in a special way. He reveals Jesus' glory in what we call the transfiguration. He's transfigured. He reveals that Jesus is the beloved son of God. He reveals that Jesus is the word of God because he says, listen to him. And then finally, he reveals that Jesus would be the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 and other places in the Old Testament, that he would die for our sins, that he'd be rejected by mankind and he would die for us. And so we're going to pick up the story there as they come off the mountain. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, that would be when they saw Jesus, they were amazed and they ran to greet him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? 
So when Jesus and Peter and James and John come off the mountain, they find, they find a large crowd at the bottom. And uh, they see men and women gathered around their disciples, and they see their disciples, he sees his disciples arguing with some of the scribes. Now, the scribes are not a distinct religious sect like the Pharisees or the Sadducees. They're more a profession. They are the experts in the law of Moses. Uh, they would take the law of Moses and apply it to everyday aspects of their, of their lives. They would be most akin to what we would call a lawyer today. And they handled contracts and resolved disputes, etc. And, and they could have been made up or they would have been made up of both Sadducees and Pharisees. What they're arguing with the disciples about, we'll never know, or at least we'll not know this side of the kingdom's uh, realization. But, but we, do can, we can probably surmise that they're arguing about something related to the law, and most likely they're arguing about something with regard to the law that's just, just happened. The crowd sees Jesus and they're amazed. They don't, it doesn't tell us what they're amazed by. One commentator suggests that maybe Jesus' face was glowing like Moses' face when he came off the mountain. I don't think so personally. I think it just simply means they were amazed to see Jesus. They weren't expecting him and all of a sudden uh, he's there and they're amazed by him being there and they run to him. And he asks the question, what are you all arguing about? And before anyone can answer... Or in what happens next to that question, I believe it reveals to us the first kind of faith. And the first kind of faith that I want to suggest to you is a misguided faith. Verse 17, someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, he throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinding his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. Now, I think the disciples are an illustration of what happens when our faith is misdirected and we put our faith in the wrong object, or maybe more specifically, when we put our faith in the wrong person. A man has had a son since childhood who um, he doesn't, doesn't, doesn't tell us how old he is. It doesn't seem that he knows. It seems like he's been this way for a long time. And this man may be a teen. He may be a young child. Most everybody believes he's at least a teenager or maybe even a young adult. And he's been tormented by a spirit. And uh, this spirit has made him deaf and, and mute. Uh, he falls to the ground rigid at times, foaming at the mouth, probably convulsing. Matthew's account literally says he's moonstruck. Now, that, uh, that account in Matthew is translated into English as he has epilepsy. I honestly think that's not a very good translation of being moonstruck. Moonstruck, we get the word lunatic from the word luna or moon. So probably a better translation in Matthew would have been uh, he was a lunatic, right? I'm not sure if it's kosher to say that anymore. But uh, he was moonstruck, which some suggest that maybe the moon affected this demonically possessed young man. And I don't think that would be outside the realm of possibility. After all, the moon affects all kinds of of things in its cycles, from, uh, from the ocean tides to, uh, to animals. They howl at the moon when it's full. So maybe this demonic entity in this boy or the boy himself is affected by the moons and by the moon. And it's called, so he said he's moonstruck. In any case, 
He brought his son to Jesus, and when Jesus wasn't there, he took him to the disciples, and they could not cast out the demon. And Jesus is upset by that. Did you notice that in his words? He says, you unbelieving generation, how long am I going to be with you? One commentator says he's directing that at the father. I don't think so. I am pretty convinced that he's directing that at his disciples because they could not cast the the demon out. So here's the question. Why couldn't they cast this demon out? After all, Jesus had given them authority to cast out demons. They'd been on a mission trip where they were casting out demons. Why could they not cast this demon out? And, uh, and Jesus says it's because of their lack of faith also. So here's my answer to the why not. And I want to confess to you up front, I'm going to be speculating. When I said that this is an illustration of, uh, of misguided faith, I, I saw my wife kind of give me this look that says, I sure don't see that. Well, maybe I can convince you, right, uh, all of you, that I think this is misguided faith. Why could they not cast out the demon? And uh, so here's my answer to the why not, and, and I'm speculating. They couldn't cast out the demon because they weren't depending on God. Their faith wasn't in God's spirit. Their faith wasn't in God's power. It was in their previous ability to cast out demons. And I'm going to continue with my speculation. And, uh, and I'm going to say that they were dependent on their own abilities to cast him out. And uh, just the ability that they had once before to do this. And the power, however, was never in them, okay? The power to cast out demons was never in and of themselves. It was always in God's power. It was always God who did it. And I think somewhere along the way, they forgot that. Now, the main reason I'm going to say that is because of what happens at the end of the text we're looking at this morning. If you jump down in your text to verse 28, after this is all over, they've gone into a house. His disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. So let me ask you, what's prayer, everyone? Prayer is nothing more than our dependence on God. They weren't depending on God. They didn't look to God. They thought they had the power themselves, in and of themselves, to cast out this demon. You know, I've told the joke before, many times actually, but I won't do it again. This guy goes into a store to buy a, a saw to cut down a bunch of trees in his, on his property. And the salesman said, here's one's guaranteed to cut 100 trees down a day. And, uh, and so he takes it. He comes back at the end of the day. He's obviously worn to a frazzle. He says, I want my money back. He puts the saw up on the counter. And, uh, and the man says, well, why? He said, well, I couldn't cut but one tree down this entire day. And the salesman says, well, let me see it. He steps back. He cranks up the chainsaw. The man jumps back and says, what's that noise? <laughs> if you forget, if you forget... And you depend on yourself rather than on the power of God. If you're, if you're dependent on your own power, you don't have any power to cast out demons. And I'm suggesting that they weren't depending on God, illustrated by prayer. They weren't dependent on God. They were depending on themselves. Now, I tell you what, I don't know if God's doing anything, and I, I don't want to make more of anything than, than I ought to, but, but everything that God has done this morning has not been orchestrated by me. I've been out of town for this week. And uh, so Ben, when he shared, did you hear what Ben said? 
Do you hear how it dovetails with what I'm saying to you here now? Ben said, you know, I worked all week on my talk for today. Until, was it this morning, Ben, or yesterday? God said, you haven't been dependent on me. You've been dependent on your own abilities and your own, your own practicing and your own whatever he talked about, how he'd been preparing. You're not dependent on me. If we forget that our dependence has to be on God, then, then we will fail. A few weeks ago, I told you that faith in the wrong object is fatal. If you put your faith in a flawed refuge, you will fail. And I want to suggest to you that the disciples have a misguided faith here. They have put their faith in themselves, in the abilities that Jesus had given them, rather than being dependent on God for his power by prayer. They had failed. They, they, they had a faith that was misguided and Jesus was frustrated and the kingdom was affected because of their misguided faith. Now we can do the same, everyone. We can do the same. We can put our faith in our giftedness. You know, if you happen to be someone this morning that's extremely gifted by God, either spiritually or in the natural realm, you can depend on your giftedness rather than on God for what you do. You can put your, your, your confidence in your planning abilities, or maybe you can put your confidence in your resources rather than trusting and being confident and dependent on God. You can have a misguided faith. And that brings us to the second illustrated faith here, and it's a weak faith. Look at verse 20. So they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, and immediately threw the boy into convulsions, and he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him, Jesus asked the father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. Now I'm calling this second faith, weak faith, but we could also call it doubting faith. Jesus calls for the boy to come. And when the boy comes, the demon throws the boy on the ground. Uh, he's evidently having a convulsion. And then he's foaming at the mouth. And then he goes limp. Or he, he's laying there. And Jesus says, how, how long has it been? The, the dad says, as long as I can remember, he's been like that. Sometimes it tries to kill him by throwing him in the fire or in the water. And, and then Jesus picks up on his words when he says, if you can do anything, Jesus. And I think, I think I'm right here. I would imagine if we'd been there, the inflection was like this. If I can? If I can? And then he says to the boy, to the father, he says, all things are possible to the one who believes. And I love the man's answer. So real, so raw, so me. He says with passion, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I think he's absolutely being honest. I believe, I've heard, I've seen, I believe you can do this. He says, but I got to confess, man, I, I've got my doubts. And the reason why he may have had the doubts is because the disciples hadn't been able to do it. But part of him is still unwavering. He still believes. A couple of weeks ago, my nephew, uh, Luke, preached a message on doubts. And he shared in this message from his own struggle with doubts and, and the, the doubts of John the Baptist. I, I want to use this, this dad's statement here. I want to use this dad's 
experience. And I want to share with you three similar principles uh, that Luke did that night about weak faith or about doubting faith, if I could. And I hope you'll all be so encouraged by these thoughts. Here's the first, here's the first thing I want to share with you about, about weak or doubting faith. Realize that when you doubt, it is common to us all to doubt I already shared with you the conviction of C.S. Lewis that all men, both religious and irreligious, doubt the convictions they've come to. They struggle with doubt. Spurgeon said, the great preacher of old said, I think when a man says, I never doubt, it is quite time for us to doubt him. I remember when, uh, I remember first reading about John the Baptist, right, and his doubts. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. John the Baptist was the son of Zacharias and Elizabeth, the one who came to them when they were long past their ability to have children. He was the one who was the pre-runner to Jesus. He's the one who was in the wilderness preaching, get ready for my cousin Jesus who's coming. He's the one that when the Spirit of God fell on the, on the person who was to be the chosen one, he would see it, God told him, and the dove came down on Jesus. He'd seen that. He was the man who called Jesus the Lamb of God, and yet he's the man who sends Jesus this question. Are you the one, or do we need to wait for someone else? I mean, here's John doubting. So here's my thought. If John can doubt, this should reassure us that we might also struggle with doubts. If John can doubt, I'm telling you, all of us can doubt. Tim Keller wrote about doubt. He said this, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy, too indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. After Sue sang, I asked her, I said, Sue, why did you choose that song today? She said, I don't know. I just did. That song is exactly what Tim Keller said. You know, if, if you haven't dealt with your doubts, if, if doubts are not like antibodies in our life where we've asked the hardest questions or we've gone through the valley that Sue sang about, man, our faith can just, the rug of our faith can be pulled out from underneath our feet overnight. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not asking you to doubt. I'm not encouraging you to doubt. Neither is Keller. I, I'm not suggesting that you should doubt. Someone I love said they never doubt. I think we can quell our doubts if we have them. But it's helpful for us to know that doubts are common to us all. They can be. When Peter walks on water and he begins to sink, Jesus says, Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter doubted, but Peter had more faith than any of the other disciples to get out of the boat. And then there's the most famous doubter of all. That would be Thomas, right? Thomas had seen Jesus walk on water, calm storms, raise other people from the dead. But when push came to shove, what does, what does Thomas do? He doubts. I think he, gets a, I think he gets a bad rap, though, because it says in another place they all doubted when they first saw Jesus, right? Peter just gets the, I mean, Thomas just gets the label. 
Pope Francis, once coming on faith, said this, Who among us has not experienced insecurity, loss, and even doubts on their journey of faith? Everyone. We've all experienced this. Me too. It's part of the journey of faith. It is part of our lives. This should not surprise us, and I love what he says here at the end, because we are human beings marked by fragility and limitations. We are all weak. We all have limits. Do not panic. We all have them. Now, I know everything I just told you is anecdotal. In other words, I can't go to a verse that says, hey, listen, everybody's going to doubt at some point. I can't, I can't point you to such a verse. But I can say to you that anecdotally from the scriptures and from life, we see we all struggle with doubts. This brings me to the second point, And this is the most important in my mind anyway. Or maybe the third is the most important. But this one's super important. So, so listen carefully. Doubts are not the same as unbelief. Doubts are not the same as unbelief. I'm going to go back to my Luke nephew and his message from a couple of weeks ago. This is what he said. I I love this. I'd never thought of this before. He says, unbelief is an act of the will where doubts often spring from a troubled mind or a broken heart. Uh, Unbelief is an act of the will. That unbelief and doubts are not the same. It's illustrated in the story before us. We have this dad, right, who basically says, I've got my doubts, but I do believe. I am not embracing unbelief. He's clearly saying I have faith, but I have my doubts. He's not walking in unbelief. He's not walking away from Jesus in unbelief. Unbelief is a choice of your will to say, I will not believe. I do not believe. Doubts are the feelings or questions or uncertainty that rise in our hearts from a troubled mind or an unsettled heart. Let me give you some biblical illustrations. When Thomas missed the first appearance of Jesus, remember what he said, right? I'm not going to believe unless I stick my fingers in the holes in his his hands and, and in his side. But eight days later, when Jesus shows up, who's right there in the middle? Thomas. You see, Thomas didn't choose unbelief. Thomas chose to remain in his faith despite his doubts. His mind and heart are troubled. He needs reassurance, but he doesn't choose unbelief. The truth is the Bible says all the disciples doubted. Like I said, only Thomas got the label. Job's another example. Job loses so much, so much. And uh, his response and his wife's response illustrate the difference between doubts and unbelief. You remember Job, man, he doesn't understand, and he, he just asked God the question, God, why? Why? For 38 chapters, or, or for a long, long time, why? But his wife's response, what was it? You know it. Curse God and die. Her response is unbelief. Job's response is doubting. When you are, here's my point, when you are struggling with your doubts, do not walk away. Don't choose unbelief. Press on, wrestle with your doubts. Let God help you when you're doubting. Here's another thing Luke said. I mean, I'm telling you, you ought to write this down. If you're taking notes, you ought to write this down. I may even have it on the, on the screen up there. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is the means to overcome doubt. That is so good. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is the means by which we overcome our doubt. 
Faith is what we do when we do doubt. We continue to walk in our faith. Doubting is common to us all. You are not immune. So when doubts arise, continue to walk in faith. Don't choose unbelief in that moment. Here's the third thing I want you to see about weak faith. Take your doubts to Jesus. Take your doubts to the Savior. When doubts creep in, you find yourself struggling, what do you do with them? I mean, cry out to Jesus, I'm doubting. Help my unbelief. Whatever you do, don't sweep your unbelief, excuse me, don't sweep your doubts under a rug. Don't ignore your doubts. Don't hide your doubts from others. Let others pray with you and for you. Let others help you walk through those doubts. Whatever you do, go to Jesus. What does the Father do in the story? Help my unbelief. Help me in my unbelief. He cries out to the Lord Jesus. Man, I have a friend who struggled for, I bet it's going on two years now. And and the one thing I've loved, struggled with his doubts. But one thing I love about my friend is that he never walked away. He never gave up. He never chose unbelief. And he recently told me God has washed up on the shores of his heart with love and grace and has re-strengthened his faith. That's what Job did when he doubted. He was doubting the prevailing thought of the day, which was if bad things happen to me, it's because I've done bad things. And he said, that is not true. I have not done deserving of what's happened to me. And you remember, he just would not give up and he kept pressing into Jesus. And at the end, Jesus meets him so that he says, what? I repent. I repent. I'm sorry, God, I didn't understand, but I see now. When John the Baptist doubted, where did he go? Where did he go? Straight to Jesus, right? Sent his his disciples to Jesus. Are you the one or are you not? He took his doubts to Jesus. How about Peter when he's doubting and sinking? Where does he go? Well, I mean, it's really not fair, right? Where else would Peter go? Jesus, save me, right? He goes to Jesus. Um, Here's the thing I want you to realize, everyone. When you take your doubts to Jesus, he cares about your doubts. He's not going to belittle you. he's, He's not like us. He doesn't write you off. There's no condemnation. When John went to Jesus with his doubts, what did Jesus say? Oh, John, you're so stupid. I can't believe this. I can't believe you're doing this. Man, you blew it with your doubts, John. You were going to be the greatest man in the kingdom, but now look at you. You're doubting. That's not what he does at all. He gives John scripture, and then he sends his men back to him, and he says, John, remember, blessed, don't stumble over me. There's a warning there about the doubts, right? Don't choose unbelief, John. Don't stumble over me. But you know, right after that, you know what happens after that? Jesus goes on this thing about John. And you know what he says about John? He says, man, men of men born of women, this side of the kingdom, there's no greater man than John. Wait a minute. John's a doubter, Lord. John's a doubter. That's not, it doesn't matter to John. There's no, I mean, to Jesus, there's no man greater than John. And when Thomas doubts, Jesus is patient with him. Put your fingers in. Jesus understands our frailties. He understands our weaknesses. He understands our doubting, and he's patient with us. Faith is not the absence of doubting, everyone. Faith is the means by which we overcome our doubts, and Jesus is patient with us. So let me end this section by saying again, if you're weak, if your faith is weak and you are struggling 
Please, please, don't choose unbelief. Don't harden your heart in unbelief. I mean, I know so many people who when their doubts came, eventually they hardened their heart and they chose unbelief. And I imagine they probably doubt their unbelief at times, but they've chosen unbelief. Do not choose unbelief. And uh, so um, God doesn't want you to doubt. Instead, I think he wants you to have this third kind of faith. And here's the third kind of faith. And I'm going to call it strong faith. You could call it solid faith or unwavering faith. Verse 25. When Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the clean, unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And then it came out shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. And the boy became like a corpse so that many said he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him and he stood up. And after he'd gone into the house, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive him out? And he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. So Jesus is a model for us this morning of strong faith, of unwavering faith. Now, there's no way that I want to belittle the deity of Jesus in any way. Um, And I don't feel like in my own heart I'm doing that. I believe Jesus is God. I believe he's the exact representation of the invisible God. But I'm also convinced that Jesus operated in life like we do. I think he operated by faith in the Father and in the Spirit. And we see through a dark glass, I may be wrong, maybe Jesus could do everything he could do because he was God and he, wasn't, he didn't have to operate through the Holy Spirit, but I don't think so. I think Jesus emptied himself in such a way that as God, he lived and acted through his humanity. And that means he walked by faith in the Holy Spirit. So that Acts 10, 38, Luke would write, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good, healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, of the adversary, because God was with him. Anoint here is different than the word Messiah from a couple of weeks ago. The word here is to put your hand on, to smear with oil. God put his hand on Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And I believe he operated in faith. That's how God wants you to operate. He wants you to operate in faith. He wants you to trust him. So Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, depending on God the Spirit, rebukes the demon and he comes out of the boy never to enter him again. The dramatic effect was incredible. They thought the boy was dead, but Jesus takes him by the hand and lifts him up. Doubts are not unbelief, but God doesn't want you living in doubt. I don't want you living in doubt. I'm not trying to give you permission to live in doubt by saying you can live in doubt all your... I'm trying to say, listen, if you're doubting God, don't choose unbelief. Take your doubts to Jesus and let him help you and give you strong and unwavering faith. So let me end this talk by just a couple more minutes. Let me talk about how to strengthen our faith. If we want unwavering faith, if we want strong faith, how do we strengthen it? So from the story so far, here's two things I've said. Don't act on your doubts and choose unbelief. That'd be one. The second one would be take your doubts to Jesus. But here are three other means God gave us to strengthen our faith. So I want you to practice these this week, next week, every week of your life. Here they are. Number one, strengthen your faith by encouraging your faith. By encouraging. The word encourage means to pour courage in it. And the Bible gives us 
at least two means by which to pour courage or strength into our faith. Here's the first one. It's the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you want to strengthen your faith, you're going to have to get God's word in you. You're going to have to listen to it. You're going to have to understand it. You're going to have to um, walk by it, okay? So you need to listen to the word of God. Listen, if you're never reading the words of Jesus from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you're never reading the things that God taught us through Paul's and Peter's and John's letters in the, in the last part of the New Testament. If you're never letting those things wash across your soul, I'm telling you, you're going to have a doubting faith. You're going to have a weak faith, not a strong faith. So I want to encourage you, let the word of God wash over you and empower you and strengthen you. Here's another way to encourage yourself. You encourage your faith by seeking God together with other people. Romans 1.12, here's what Paul said to the church at Rome. He said, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by your faith. The reason why we get together like this on Sundays is so that you might be encouraged by me. I don't mean the preacher. I mean me, the Jimmy, the disciple. But that you might be encouraged by Jackie or by Dave or by Jamie or by Dick. The reason we get together is so that we can encourage one another. But it's also so that you might encourage me as a believer in my life. You might, you might say things. You might, man, were you not encouraged when Ethan shared his testimony today? I mean, serious, weren't some of you put to shame because of your fear and you're not willing to deal, deal with your own fear about talking about the kingdom? Weren't you? I know I was. I mean, my heart was just brimming with what God was doing in Ethan's life. And I was wondering, Earl, if this is not part of the, the revival that you keep pointing to, with, beginning with our youth. Here's Ethan telling us how God just met him in a movie and he obeyed the Lord, right? So we get together like this to be encouraged. Hey, listen, you're here today, so I'm preaching to the choir. But there's so many, maybe you just happen to be here today, but this isn't a day where you normally come to be encouraged. Listen, listen to what I'm saying to you. You should be with God's people every single week without fault, without exception. I mean, you say, wait, wait a minute, what if I'm on vacation? If you're on vacation, if you're traveling, okay, I'll give you that. But you know, none of this, I don't feel like it. None of this, I, I, I need to go to this today, or I need to go to that today. I'm telling you, there was a time when God's people made this the priority of their life, and they did not choose another priority. And I'm telling you, this should be the priority of your life. Why? Because this is how you strengthen your faith so that when doubts come, I mean, you know what to do with them. You know how to handle them. And not only that, I think as we strengthen our faith, we'll have less and less times of doubting. Don't forsake, Hebrews chapter 10, don't forsake gathering yourselves together as is the habit of some, but all the more encouraging one another as you see the day drawing near. Number one, encourage your faith. Here's the second way to strengthen your faith. Live your faith. We strengthen our faith when we live it, when we embrace it, when we actually act on it time after time after time. As I live out my faith, as I live out my faith, my faith grows stronger. I think this is what Paul meant when he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's saying, work out your faith, live out your faith. 
Live it out with fear and trembling. And, and as I work it out, it grows my faith. It strengthens my faith. Discipleship is taking God's word by faith and choosing to exercise obedience in my life to it. I guarantee you, Ethan is going to be himself encouraged by his living out what the Spirit of God told him in the middle of a movie, not allowing his fear to overcome him and and acting on that. I'm telling you, Ethan's faith is going to grow, or did grow because of that. And then finally, number three, this is how we strengthen our faith. We stretch our faith. When your faith is tested, even with doubts, the outcome on the other side will always be a stronger faith, I believe. James chapter one, verse two, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. I would say that means your faith has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Man, a lot of times we don't choose stretching. It just comes our way. It just comes our way. It's how it, it, you know, this past week, Bill passed on, on Monday, I mean Tuesday, I think it was, and on Monday, Al had put a, a bug in my ear, and, and, I, and I called Sharon. And Sharon and I spoke for like 40 minutes. And one of the things that, that Sharon kept testifying to, I mean, Bill was still living at this time, but it was a struggle. I mean, they, he was, it was a struggle. But she kept testifying, Jimmy, my faith has grown stronger. My faith has grown stronger through this, through this walking this. You know, Bill has finished his race. But Sharon's faith has grown stronger as she's walked through this trial. Peter chose to stretch his faith. Jesus, bid me to come out on the water. I mean, help me. Let me get out of the boat, Jesus. And of course he sank, and that's all we remember. But I guarantee you, when he got back in his boat, back in the boat, his faith was stronger, even though he had doubted. Every time you step out on a limb and you trust God, your faith will be fortified. It'll be strengthened. It'll grow. So there you have it. What is your faith today? That's the question. What is your faith today? Now, some of you may have found your way in here this morning and you don't have faith in Jesus. And so there's a passage in the New Testament where Paul's writing this church. And this is what he said. He said, man, I plead with you. I plead with you as if I'm an ambassador for Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus and follow him. So I want to take Paul's same approach. And I want to say, if you found your way in here this morning and you don't have faith in Jesus, I plead with you. Put your faith in Jesus. Follow Jesus. Put your faith in him. I would just, I would plead with you to do that. But if you're here this morning and your faith is misguided, then I would say repent. I would say repent. If your faith is in something other than Jesus and your dependence is in something other than Jesus, listen, if your dependence is in politics for our country, you've got a misguided faith. If if your dependence is on your skills and your abilities, and I'm going to go back to Ben again. Ben is such an illustration of what I'm trying to say to you. Ben's sitting at the table and all of a sudden he realizes I haven't been dependent on God. And what did Bill do? I mean, Ben do. Ben could have said, 
I'm sorry, God, I've invested a lot of time in this. That's not what he did. He repented. His own words. I said, God, I'm sorry. What do you want me to do? That's what I'm talking about. If your faith is misguided, it's in something other than Jesus, then, then, hey, repent and say, God, I want to put my faith in you. I want to walk with you. If you have a weak faith this morning, strengthen it. Encourage it. Live it. Stretch it. Whatever you do, don't walk away. And if your faith this morning is strong, give thanks to God. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed.